Welcome to the Elevate Your Brand podcast, where we help online coaches learn how to elevate their brand, become the experts in their industries, so they can bring in more clients and create a life they want. I am your host, Chris Anderson. And if you want to make a difference in the lives of others, share this episode, go over to Apple Podcasts and follow us there to leave a positive rating and review. And together we can leave a bigger positive mark on the world. All right. Welcome back to another recording of Elevate Your Brand. I am Chris Anderson and super excited to dive into this topic today. You might have heard of gratitude and how important it is in life, but there's another thing that starts with a G that is also important and that's generosity kind of the the flip of it you know gratitude we we look at what we have and what we're doing and and how mm-hmm. that is a benefit and having that positive mindset which is great but the flip to that is generosity so how can we you know give back and how can we put into others and, and you know uh philanthropic endeavors and things of that nature so we're going to dive into all that so Fasten your seatbelts, get ready. It's going to be a good episode. Uh, and we got Bob DePascal on the show today. Bob, welcome to Elevate Your Brand. Thanks, Chris. Uh, pumped to be here. And I, I will say, uh, you know, gratitude and generosity are, are highly related, believe it or not. So yeah. I, I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah. I, you know, I'm curious because you are the generosity guy. If you guys are following him on social media at all, you see that. You see what he's putting out there. It's amazing stuff. If you're not following him, make sure you do go find him. Uh, at bdepa b d e p a on Instagram. Follow the generosity guy here. He puts out a lot of great content. And uh, so, yeah, what made you become the generosity guy, Bob? Well, I had an unexpected experience with what I would call radical generosity uh, when I was eighteen. That truly saved my life. And so, okay. it ever since that period of time, uh, I've always felt it really important to be a generous person. And interestingly, though, I found what I've learned more in the past couple of decades is more about how uh, generosity can manifest itself in so many different ways. You know, generosity is not just writing a check or giving money or even giving a possession. It can, there's so many different ways that you can exercise it. And it's been a really a great journey since uh, that radical act really saved me. Yeah. What, what, I mean, you almost die. What happened? (laughs) Yeah, actually. Yes. Uh, And I'll tell you all about it. Um, I don't know, you know, when you were 18, uh, if you felt invincible, but I thought I was invincible at 18. Right. <laughs> I thought there was nothing I could do that could possibly destruct myself, no matter how crazy or arrogant or dumb uh, you might ask uh, or you might classify some of the things that I did. Uh, I thought I was invincible. Now, I had gone off to college when I was just 18 years old. I live here in South Florida, just outside of Fort Lauderdale. And I was actually born in New York and wanted to go back there for college to spend some more time with my family. I had an opportunity to play football and I, somewhere on there was education, probably not at the top of the list. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> but I, maybe my parents thought it was, I don't know. So I went off to college and I was there in the summer before my freshman year at training camp playing football. Now, when you're a freshman college football player, I mean, you're trying to prove yourself. College training camp is way different than anyone who's ever played high school football. You know, if you've made that transition, then you know it's a month long. It's two a days. This is before they change some of the rules, <laughs> and you're practicing, working out, and and you're putting a lot of effort in. Put it that yeah. way, and you're wall to wall football, twenty four hours a day. And so, in the first couple of days of training camp, I, I felt like I was playing pretty good. But then I, I pulled a muscle. I thought I had a mm-hmm. groin injury. 
Now, another question I'll ask everyone out there, and if you're driving, don't uh, don't, <laughs> don't feel too much pain here. But if you've it's ever terrible. pulled a groin muscle, oh yeah, they're terrible. It's a terrible injury, and you don't yeah. realize they last how forever. Much, yeah, like you can't stand, you can't sit. <laughs> you know, forget about driving. Now that I think about, it, especially if it was your right leg. Yep, it's tough to move around, and so I had never pulled that muscle before. But I was pretty convinced that that was a. You, that it was a groin injury and I was, mm. I was hurt. I, I couldn't walk, couldn't move, no less run down the field and get hit by guys twice my size. <laughs> so I was doing this this rehab exercise, which is, you know, like once again, the, the, co- the, the facilities and the college and the trainers and the professionals and the doctors, I mean, they were really trained to get you back out on the field. So this rehab exercise I was doing, like nothing I ever done before. I would <laughs> sit on this three wheeled stool and yep. shimmy myself across the training room yep right and there's yeah. i don't know a hundred people there 5 36 o'clock in the morning before training camp practice starts there's doctors there's coaches play whatever there's just a million things going on and part of the exercise was essentially to dodge the people while i'm on the stool <laughs> to try to get to the other end of the room yep That's and awesome. people are probably laughing at me while i'm doing this or think that i'm just acting like an idiot, you know, like I'm just wasting time right. in the way. I'm like, no, 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 guys, this is a serious rehab exercise. <laughs> yeah. I'm hurt. I need to do this. Well, one day our trainer, who's a, who's a small guy, his name was Rick, and he's, I don't know, maybe 5'8", 140 pounds, soaking wet, not a big guy. And he used to have to stand on this box to get people's attention or to bark out orders. <laughs> and I promise you, I'm not exaggerating any part of this story, except for maybe this part right here. It there's no way that if he was it was actually dead silent, but at this moment it felt like it was dead silent. And he cups his hand, stands in the box, and yells, "Bobby, you got to get back out on the field. Quit being a weakling." <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, "Oh man!" So now this little tiny trainer guy is calling me out in front of all my new teammates and coaches. I mean, I felt like such a loser. Oh yeah. So I said. I, you know, a couple of minutes later, you know, later that session, I, I said, you know, Rick, listen, that's, something's not right. Like, I, I want to be back on the field. You know, I do. I, I'm, I'm right. losing my position here. And he's like, well, let's have a more private meeting. And I told some of my teammates, I was like, so guys, I'm having this private meeting with Rick. And they're like, and the, the, the look on their face was like, what? Like, no one meets privately with Rick. Like, something must be wrong. <laughs> so I had this meeting with Rick and he's like, listen, I'm going to send you to a doctor because you're, you're not getting any better. Right. Mm. So I'm 18. And I'm in New York by myself now, technically an adult, though. So I'm mm-hmm. driving around for a week to all these different doctor's appointments. I mean, I had CAT scans, sonograms, MRIs, ultrasound, you name it, everything. And this is obviously a sensitive area of the body, right? So yeah. it's not really – it's a little awkward. Yeah. And But these appointments would take hours because I would have to go in there and fill out all this paperwork. And I don't know anything about insurance. And so the finally, the last appointment that I that I had – at least, you know, prior to prior to the next stage of the story, my parents were coming up this day. It was supposed to be my first ever college game that uh. coming Saturday. Now, we knew my parent, we knew I wasn't playing in the game at this point uh, with, with my injury, but they were still coming up because they hadn't seen me. I hadn't been away from home for a month ever in my life. And so I had this appointment and I expected to be in there for another couple hours. But I walked in, I had no paperwork to fill out. I was in there for maybe five minutes, not even. They called me into the office right away, sit me down. A couple seconds later, doctor walks in and he sits down at the desk and says, hi, Bobby, you have cancer. Oh, 
And I was like, what? I mean, my jaw hit the desk. I was like, this is crazy. I mean, I, I thought wow. I had like a pulled groin muscle. Or something yeah. Like so anyway, I come out of this and then he's like, he's like, you're free to go. Or, or, we'll give you a call tomorrow. We're going to hook you up with an oncologist. And I was thinking to myself, I don't even know what an oncologist is. <laughs> right. Like I, so I just left there in shock. Wow. And I walked out of the building and like clockwork, I mean, it was, it was like perfect timing. My phone rings and it was my mom. And she goes, Hey, uh, and I wasn't expecting you to pick up. I, I pick up, I expected you to be in the appointment, but I just want to let you know we landed and we'll meet you back at your uncle's mm. house. How did the appointment go? Mm. And I was like, uh, about that, mom, the appointment. And Chris, man, I'll tell you, uh, she said nothing when I told her. I said, yeah. Mom, the doctor said I have cancer. Jeez. And it was dead silent. But it felt like uh, the the loudest scream you could possibly ever make. Mm. And the only thing I remember hearing is my dad on the other end. He was also in the car with her. Mm -hmm. Susan, Susan, that's my mom's name. Like, what's going on? And even he knew just by her reaction that yeah. something was wrong. And so we met back at my uncle's house. We looked at each other. I gave my parents a big hug. I hadn't seen them in, in, in a month. And we kind of looked at each other and we're like, what is going on? So we shed a few tears. We said yeah. some prayers and tried to figure out what we were going to do. Wow. And so um, the second half of the story is I did talk with my oncologist and he told me to, to take, to continue to take some or to start class. Like don't just drop mm. out of school. Yeah. So a couple of days later or on Saturday, which was supposed to be my first game, my uncle's best friend comes over his house mm. and he's introduced to me and my parents and without prompt, without anything, he pulls his keys out of his pocket and he hands them to my parents and says, Bob and Susan, I can't imagine what you're going through with your son right now, but take my keys in my car for as long as you need it. And whatever you have to do, whatever doctor's wow. appointments you have to go to, you can have my car. Wow. And my parents were like flabbergasted. They were like, they, they didn't even know what to say. I don't even know if they uh, said anything. Right. And I thought to myself, I was like, wow, this is the most generous thing that someone's ever done for our family. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, chills right now. That's I love these stories. I mean, just, yeah, keep going. I love it. And he, that was it. He was there for maybe 15 minutes. He said goodbye to my aunt, my uncle, and he left. Wow. And I was like, what? I was like, I don't even know what, what just happened. And my <laughs> uncle was like, well, that's, that's Tim. That's my friend, yeah. Tim. He's just wow. a really nice guy. So fast forward now, Monday comes along. I go to my first college class. You take Tim's car and go to class, whatever, some more doctor's appointments, come home, whatever. Next day. Second ever college class. I come out of the class. I go to the cafeteria. I'm going to grab something to eat. And I'm eating a breakfast burrito sitting at the like the bar type of you know seating arrangement here. And you remember like old school televisions, like a tube TV, not a flat screen. But like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a there's a little eight-inch tube television hanging from a bracket in the corner of the <laughs> ceiling and the wall uh -huh. in this cafeteria. And the news is on. Now I'm I'm from Florida. I live in Florida. I'm watching the news in New York. I don't know the news station. I don't. I, I wouldn't have been able to, you know, put that on the television or ask that to ask them to put that yeah. on. And I can almost barely see it, but I'm watching it. And all of a sudden, uh, a plane hits one of the twin towers. Oh. Live. I'm like, 
Oh, no. That's great. What a horrible oh, accident. So I call my dad. He picks up. He says, hey, how are you doing? Are you watching the news? Are you see what's going on? I'm like, yeah, I'm in the cafeteria. I'm watching this. And all of a sudden, another plane, the, the mm-hmm. second plane hits the other Twin Tower in, yeah. in Manhattan there. And, I, and my dad's like, you know what? That's not an accident. You no, you better right. you better come come back to your uncle's. So I hopped in the car, and I. How far were you from the the towers? Uh, a few miles. I mean, not very far. Wow. And uh, so I hop in the car. I, I think the breakfast burrito is still sitting there. I didn't even finish it. <laughs> and I, and it was typically a fifteen minute drive from yeah. my college to my uncle's house. And I subsequently, after school, you know, later later on in life, I, I got a master's degree in broadcast journalism, worked in radio. I love the audio audio medium. But mm-hmm. that 15-minute drive took me nine hours. And I listened to AM radio the oh. whole time, riveting radio, burning <laughs> towers in the distance, driving to my uncle's house. And I will never listen to nine straight hours of AM radio oh. ever again in my life. Right. Even though I'm trained in that art. But uh-huh. that was the most. I, I couldn't ex- explain it. Like what happened that day, I can't. I can't even describe the, those feelings. I pulled into my uncle's neighborhood, and I ran out of gas. Oh. I ran out of gas in his neighborhood. Thankfully, I made it to the neighborhood. We were able to push my car into the driveway, and my aunt was frantic. She because my uncle was on business the night before, mm. and we couldn't get a hold of him. So finally, about eight o'clock comes comes uh, comes around, and we had been looking at each other like, "This is incredible! Like, what just happened in my life? I don't even know if I'm going to be living much longer with my right. illness. Now, now the world might be coming to an end. Like, it right. was crazy. Yeah. And at eight o'clock, my uncle, the phone rings. It was my uncle, and he and he says, "Hey, you know, I'm here. Uh, I, I'm in Denver. My flight never took off. The planes have been grounded. I, I heard what happened. You know, I see the news." Uh, I'll try to catch a flight tomorrow, but just I'm, I'm safe. I'm okay. Don't worry about me anymore. And we were relieved. I could see the relief on my aunt's face. And he, we were going to hang up. And he says, but wait a minute. Before you hang up, I got to tell you something. My best friend, Tim, who you all met a few days ago, was in the towers this morning and he died. Oh, my gosh. And we looked at each other like, wow, that that's that's terrible. And... As I had mentioned before, Tim was known for being a really generous guy, and he worked for Cantor Fitzgerald, which is an investment bank that had their offices there in the towers, and they mm-hmm. lost hundreds of people that day. If you if you ever Google the the interview with with the president of Cantor Fitzgerald at the time, I mean, I mean, his words were something to the effect of, you know, we lost everybody, mm-hmm. and it was just a terrible time. And they were such a generous organization also that they gave office space to my uncle's foundation, which is for cystic fibrosis, a disease that my cousin has. Mm. And they were gave, they gave office space to them. And luckily that no one would typically be in the office that early for the foundation, like they would be for Canavich Cheryl, that you know, their employees were in early in the morning. The only person that would typically be there, her name was Tammy and she worked for the foundation she was uncharacteristically late that morning for the silliest of reasons. If you've ever, if you ever, you know, got a chance to talk to her about it, she was stuck in the subway below when the plane hit. She ended up mm. escaping, and her stories are tremendous. But that whole situation just reminds me that you know, we don't really know how much time we have left on on the earth. So Tammy, 
thank God Tammy was spared. But unfortunately, Tim was not. And he knew. And in talking with his family and people afterwards, he lived like that. He lived like, mm. you know what? I got an opportunity to give of myself to other people. And I don't know how much more time I'm going to have to do that, regardless of my age. So I'm going to do it now. Wow. And that's reminded me. And that's why I talk about generosity and specifically radical generosity and why it's such an important force in our lives. Oof, man, what a story. And, you know, that's just because I, I remember 9-11. I, I'm old enough to, to remember mm. it vividly and just every it just and i think with kind of with that like after that happened you saw so much more generosity from people too like we came together like as a nation Mm -hmm. uh, and it was a really i mean in such a tragic awful time like there's a lot of beautiful things to it because you did see people come together and they didn't care what they look like or where they're from like just that you know radical generosity i feel like what you're talking about just really showed through uh, in that, in that time. And Mm -hmm. wow, what a, what a series of events and you know, how, you know, with your cancer, how are you? I mean, obviously you're talking to me, so that's, that's good. It's been a little while. So. Yeah. So uh, there was three stages of healing that I had to go through and and not to get too philosophical on you, but physically healed it. I had 20 rounds of chemotherapy in in a rather short period of time, uh, based on my understanding of how, a lot of different treatment patterns go, but that was in September, September 11th, mm-hmm. 2001 is when the attacks were shortly. I had to have surgery. Uh, the, I have some other stories about being in New York city after that and the subway system being shut down and trying to right. get care. But ultimately I, I was able to start treatment shortly after that. And there's some other generous things that happened in there too, uh, that, that truly did save my life and how I got hooked up with my oncologist and mm-hmm. how I was able to get treated. But Thank God, uh, at the end, very end of November, I had my last treatment. I was able to celebrate Thanksgiving, if you will. Uh, and shortly after that, I had a scan and the, the chemotherapy had worked. Awesome. And it, it had spread. Now, mm-hmm. it, so I didn't even, this wasn't even clear in the story. Um, <laughs> my groin injury was actually testicular cancer. Ah, uh, okay. Yep. And so it, it, it had spread all the way up into my abdomen. And so my oncologist had told me, this is an extremely aggressive form of cancer. I'm really glad we found it now because it was moving fast. If it got That's into crazy. my organ, uh, if it got into my um, vital organs, forget mm. about it. So mm-hmm. he, we were able to catch it, but he also said it's extremely curable. We know we yep. know how to get rid of this stuff. Wow. So the timing was truly amazing. Uh, I don't know why I didn't find it until then. You know, who knows if I would have found it when I was a senior in high school because he said it probably was around at some point. Right. And, you know, never, who knows, but so you yeah. ask about how I'm doing physically. I'm great. Um, I'm, I'm, in, I'm pretty good health. I have some side effects, uh, not afraid to talk about those either, but they're relatively mild compared to, you know, I, I'm alive. Thank God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mentally it took me, uh, you know, I finished off that semester, came back in the spring semester, you know, got back out on the sports field and, and was kind of a blur for a while. And I mentally, I kind of worked through it in about six months to a year. Um, I, I, I was okay. You know, I felt safe and healthy, like I can go out and live my life, mm-hmm. but it was really the emotional healing and aspect of it that took years and years to really work through all that. And, uh, you know, I mentioned my cousin, uh, he was on, on, uh, the speaking of impact podcast with me, uh, almost a year or two ago now. And that's, you know, let's say it's 20 years from, from 2001, I was mm-hmm. still learning lessons 
and, and putting connections together on the acts of generosity that happened during that period of time. And um, so, yeah, it took me about two years to really work through the emotions. But to be honest with you, I've been learning lessons from it for a couple of decades now. And I, this is not a gross exaggeration. I said earlier that I'm not going to exaggerate anything other than Rick standing on the box <laughs> um, or, or the silence in the room at that point. Mm-hmm. This is not an exaggeration either. Every single day of my life, not a day goes by where I don't at least think about that whole situation in that time of my life. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. Like when you have moments like that and those such like things that really rock you and things that are so just really, you know, miracles or, or those things that stand out, like, yeah, it's hard mm-hmm. to forget those, those things. And, um, it's, that's just, that's a, that's a really cool story. I mean, not the tragedy part of course, but just yeah. the connections and how you can connect the dots of everything and see the generosity and see the, the things from it. And, you know, how Tim lived his life helping people. And, mm-hmm. um, so you can share, you could continue kind of his, his legacy a little bit just by sharing that, which is cool. So, um, damn, man, heck of a story. So like with that, like, why do you think, or what's your opinion on the importance of generosity? Why do we need to be generous uh, in our lives? Well, the, the first thing I'll say is that generosity is contagious. Hmm. And I have scientific proof of this. I have anecdotal evidence. I have you know my own experiences yeah. that I can tell you 15 other stories of how generosity has been a powerful force in my life. Uh, there's a Wendy by the, there's a, a Wendy, a lady <laughs> by the name of Wendy Steele, who leads an organization called Impact 100 Global. They do excellent work in getting people involved in generosity, not just writing checks. That's why I love their mission. And she talks, she has a TED Talk. You can search for it. It's probably 10, 12, maybe even 15 years old now, but it still holds up. And I think generosity is so important because of the hormones and the things that the body experiences when when an act of generosity happens. And Wendy talks about, I want I won't ruin the whole TED Talk for you. You search it, Wendy Steele on generosity, but she talks about oxytocin specifically and how that hormone is the bonding hormone. If you're a female and you've given birth, you've experienced oxytocin in great amounts because it's it's uh, um, excreted in childbirth and it creates that bond with mother and, and child. And so, but it's the same hormone that's excreted in acts of generosity. And so if you're, most people understand that if you receive a gift, it feels good, right? You get a gift at, at the holiday season or someone decides to do something nice for you. We can all understand that. Most other people also have experienced the gift as the giver. You know, you know, mm-hmm. it feels good to give someone that you love or care about a gift or even someone yep. random. It doesn't even yep. have to be someone that's close to you. Uh, but what I think goes overlooked at times is the third party that experiences a generous act also mm. receives a hit of oxytocin. Okay. And so that's why gener- what's the main reason why generosity is so important because I think it's a powerful force in the world to make us all better people and to make the world a better place. And yeah. so when I was younger and all those things happened to me, those good feelings that I got from people doing, I mean, the things that people stepped in to do to help me lifted my spirits, made me feel better, made me feel like I was capable of beating cancer mm-hmm. as aggressive as it was. Uh, it made my mindset much better to, to find out some of the things that my uncle whose son had cystic fibrosis, a terrible disease in its own right. And my parents, whose son, me, had cancer, the things that they did to make sure that me and my cousin were bonding over kind of almost wallowing in our sorrows together 
but they did things for us that helped us build a relationship. And now, you know, we're, although he still lives up Northeast and I'm down here, we're still really, really close. But the idea is that generosity is a bonding thing. It's not, it's not just this person needs a hundred dollars because they're broke or Mm. this person can't pay their rent or this person can't eat or this person doesn't have affordable housing. Those things are very, very important. Don't get me wrong. Charities and organizations that solve those problems are very important to our world. But if you think that it's just about the item or the possession of the money, then you're really, really missing something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so beside that, because I'm sure that's what a lot of people think of when they think of like being generous is donating money or, or giving money to someone or, you know, putting money in the cup when they walk by that person sitting on the street. Like what other ways can we be generous? Maybe if we don't have the finances or, or we're trying to just expand how we are generous. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you asked that question. So I think there's two ways, there's two important things to look at. Number one is the actual act of giving things. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, you could give money, you could give an item, you could give a gift, a present, but you can also give your time. Uh, you can give other resources. You can give your intellectual property. If you're a business owner, uh, if, you know, if you're someone who has built a strong brand to speak to some of the things that you talk about on your show, uh, if you have an organization that does really, really good work, there's, there might be people out there who could benefit from your knowledge or experience. So give that, uh, give your, give information. There's mm-hmm. really, there's all kinds of different ways to do that. Uh, and like I said, it's contagious because when, when, when people see you doing it and your organization doing it, they're more likely to do it as well. And believe me, if you don't do it to get something back, but I, I guarantee you, if you have a giving organization, a giving culture, and this is what I talk about a lot with organizations, mm-hmm. a giving culture definitely uh, receives back tenfold for what, yeah. what what you end up giving. So that's number one, like the actual items or uh, thoughts or, or effort or time that you give to someone. The other thing that to, to really think about or that I believe is extremely important in this space, because I get this question a lot, you know, I don't have the, the time or the resources or the things to give. Uh, inspiration comes after the mindset or, or generosity, not before. Mm-hmm. So don't think of it like I'm, I'm waiting to find the person that I, that I need to help or I'm waiting to find the inspiration. Uh, it's just like if you're a business owner and you want to do something great with your business and you want that hockey stick growth, you can't sit around and wait to be inspired to do something. you right. got to start working and taking action. And then along the way, you'll find inspiration on the areas that you really want to focus on. And the same thing goes for generosity. You want to just participate. So the way that you, the, the, the thing that I suggest is that people think about the things that are most meaningful and important to them and just get involved. If you know you really care about animals or you really care about the climate uh, or you really care about people in a specific area, or if you really care about uh, a certain, uh, you, you know, a certain cause that that's supporting something else outside of yourself and outside of your home, just go volunteer or go on the internet, search about it, or ask questions. Um, that's another one. That's a really important part about it, is asking questions to people. And you have we have we have the availability to ask questions to just about anyone in the world these days, whether it's on right. social media or email, or in-person, whatever. Ask those questions, get involved in those places, and I, I guarantee you, you'll start finding ways and things to do to get involved that don't necessarily include pulling out your, your wallet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. My wife is a really, really good example. Uh, she's, she's a very giving, a, a, natu- a more naturally giving person than I am. And she, we came home from an event once uh, we were volu- we were actually volunteering somewhere. I can't remember where it was. And somehow we got stuck with like a, a, 
a case of waters that was like <laughs> not even a case. It was like half a case of waters, but it was all mangled and they were just everywhere. And we weren't going to throw it away, uh, but it was sitting in my wife's car for a while. And she's like, this is so annoying. And she realized that she could, when the, the, her drive to school, she's a teacher and her okay. drive to work and school every day would pass by a spot where there was normally people that, you know, homeless people that were, that needed something. And she started giving them water uh, when, when from this case of water. And within a, a week or two, it was all gone, right? She was given out a bottle or two a day and uh, it was all gone. And so she decided to grab another, she would always, she always keeps water in her car now, <laughs> uh, which is nice. But the reason why this is interesting is because that just, just participating in that or, or, or doing that act made her more interested in the cause. So then she went home and started learning more about what, you know, the water shortages and the needs in the world and all these different things. So she's done all kinds of other work now, strictly because she just had the thought to do one really simple thing. I mean, she just gave some, one of these, one of these people, a, a, a bottle of water once, but that sparked all this other stuff. So, mm-hmm. so, it's not just about giving the stuff. It's about the desire to get involved in something. And you'll, you'll be inspired once you start taking action. Yeah. And with that, you know, you said your wife is like more generous than you basically. Do you think people are born with generosity, like ingrained in them or can it be taught, you know, cause there's selfish people out there who don't want to give anything and don't want to help whatever. Mm-hmm. Is that just, do you think everyone can be generous or do you think it's something that has to be learned? Yeah, so it can abs- the habits can absolutely be yeah. learned, but I think there's two things to think about. One is there are definitely people who are more inclined to be givers, but that's not a function, I believe, of the of their level of desire to help other people. Okay, I'll come back to that in a second. Yeah. I think that's a function of their own comfort in what they have. And you talked about gratitude earlier in the, mm-hmm. in the show. And I believe gratitude is very, very important to being a giving person because if you appreciate what you have, you're more likely to be a giving person because A, because you have it and you have enough, you're comfortable, you have what I like to call you have your enough. And then B, you realize how good having is. So you want to give to other people. So selfish, so-called selfish people don't, and and this is not uh, science so much scientific, but I believe selfish people, it's not that they don't have the desire to give. It's that they don't feel comfortable in what they have. Mm, okay. Uh, there's another lady by the name of Amy Campbell. If you want to look her up, she's got a TED Talk and other information about giving too. And she talks about the questions we should be asking ourselves. And if you're looking to get involved in the generosity space, the questions and like the mind functions that she will train you through are really, really fascinating, really help you get into that gratitude mindset. So that's the one thing. I don't think these people lack the desire to give. I think they lack the comfort in what they have. Okay. And then from the other perspective, I think everyone, I think all humans are born with an inerrant, inerrant desire to help other people. It's, it's, it's built into our DNA. It's part of the way we operate. We have this desire to help in one way or another, whatever that is, everyone's got different gifts and skills and talents, um, but we all have this desire to support people. The problem is, and I think uh, I don't want to be the, uh, technology basher because I love technology. I Mm -hmm. I wrote about it in my book. I think it's really important. But one of the drawbacks is we think everything requires such an immediate response. And and Mm -hmm. there's so many messages out there that tell us that we're inadequate, (laughs) right? That we don't have enough, like we need more tools and tips and tricks and algorithms and apps to help us through our day. 
So we think that we're not good enough. And that ties back to what I was just saying about a lot of people think that maybe they don't have enough. And so we don't think we're capable of being generous. And I just not the truth. The yeah. natural human desire is to give of what we have, whether that's for our kids, you know, if, if any parents out there, family members, or just that homeless person that you see that you know, that's in the middle of a traffic, you know, intersection yeah. with a sign. We yeah. have this desire to do it. So I always tell people, you gotta, you gotta take a step back from all of those distractions. They're, they're distracting you from your business and building your company and whatever, but they're also distracting you from your giving mindset. Hmm. That's good. Yeah. I think that's important to remember for sure. And, you know, you mentioned social media and it's got positives and negatives, of course. And I see a lot of times people, you know, blowing up, like, for example, Mr. Beast, he goes out and he does a lot of great things on YouTube to help people or give away mm -hmm. things. Or, you know, there's other people on social media who record themselves, you know, giving money or um, something like that. Like, what is your thoughts? Like, because they kind of, I, I go back and forth with it. Like, I'm like, oh, they're, they're just doing it to get views. Do they really want to be generous? Or are they just trying to build something? But I'm like, well, they're still doing good things. Mm -hmm. So that's awesome. Like, so what is your, what is your thoughts on like, like being very mm, showy with your generous actions? Well, my thoughts have, I don't want to say change, but evolved in the past couple of years. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm the type of person that love, like I mentioned before, I love technology, mm -hmm. uh, but I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of, um, I, I'll, I'll put it this way. I'm a big fan of authenticity, mm -hmm. right? So I think doing good is obviously better than doing bad. Let's, yeah. let's lay that out there. Right. So yeah. if, you're being, <laughs> if you're being a giving person, that's better than stealing from people, regardless of if you're showing or not. Um, however, I, I do have a problem with people that may be giving with the expectation of receiving, and that's mm. not necessarily generosity. Generosity is giving without the expectation of receiving. So if you're giving strictly uh, just to get in return, um, then that's a problem. Now, don't get me wrong. I like receiving stuff, too. So it's not about it completely eliminating the desire to receive anything, um, but it's what's the priority. What's the most important reason? And that should be to give. And so with social media, it can be a tremendous tool. And I'm this is why I talk to businesses and companies about this, because I think there it's the exact same mindset and train of thought. Nothing is really honestly that different about, about building an organization, a company that wants to be profitable versus being generous. Um, because you have to, these days, rise above the noise and share your message. So if I truly believe I would be being fake and not authentic if I believe as strongly as I do that generosity is a powerful force in the world and we need more of it. Mm -hmm. I would be I'd be lying or I'd be inauthentic if I didn't share that on social media. So right. you talk about the brand that my business has developed. My desire is to make generosity fun and enjoyable, mm -hmm. make philanthropy uh, accessible for people who don't have a hundred billion dollars and make it yeah. enjoyable. And the way you do that is you share it on social media. So whether you're building a business on generosity, building a business on selling trinkets, uh, a coaching business, it doesn't matter. If you really believe in that message, you should be giving it. And that's the key. It's about giving most mm -hmm. people. And I, you know, I, I know there's data and statistics on this, Chris, most people consume, through social media. They're takers. Yep. They watch 
They go down TikTok rabbit holes. They watch YouTube and Mr. Beast videos for three hours. <laughs> they spend so much time taking from social media. And that's honestly why these companies can charge so much for their ad revenue because they their algorithms keep people on the keep people taking on the platform. Yeah. And all their content, you know, whether you're Instagram or TikTok or any of those, the vast majority of their content, they don't have to pay creators to create it. They get free stuff. So all they got to do is build an algorithm that wants to keep you on the platform. So mm. if you really want to be a generous person or share your message from your with your business or whatever it is, you got to be a giver. You got to go out of social media and say, this is a giving tool, not a taking tool. So to answer your question, my thoughts are this. Don't do it for the wrong reasons. Do it for the right reasons and then do it really, really, really well. Mm. No, that's good. A lot. I mean, I'm not afraid to admit, uh, you know, I used to, it used to be one of those things where I don't ever want to be the guy who's not spending time with my family or friends because I'm on social media all day. And I used to try to limit how much social media I use. And I know parents who do an effective job of limiting the screen time and technology time of their children. So I don't want to mm -hmm. tell you not to do that because that kids, I don't believe children have the ability or the mental maturity to decide what's giving, what's taking, what's productive right. or unproductive with technology. But mm -hmm. now I'm an adult and I'm honestly proud of how much time I spend on social media. And people tell me, you know, I try to stay away from Twitter. I was like, no, I'm on these platforms a lot because I'm using it to give value. I'm using it to provide yeah. information about how important generosity is. And I'm also building another business, you know, and we work, you know, we work with generous families to help manage their finances so they can concentrate on positive impact in the world. I got to share that message. So yeah. social media is an awesome tool for that. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And it's it's just kind of the the posture you come towards whatever the action is, like uh, what's in your heart kind of thing, you know. And so mm -hmm. I think that's a good thing to remember. And using the tools to give, give out, you know, like Gary Vaynerchuk always, you know, the, the jab, 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 whatever, how many times hook thing, <laughs> always yeah. giving value as much as you can. Exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Share your stuff. Share your knowledge out there. I mean, I'm the generosity guy. It, you know, I, I hesitate to call myself an expert on generosity. I'm just someone who's really interested in it. Yeah. But if I believe that I have the value, I'm going to go out there and share it. And I've absolutely given, uh, excuse me, absolutely received back from sharing it. So whatever you're, whatever you're out there sharing, provide the knowledge that you have. And most people will struggle to, you know, I think is it Gary or there's plenty of other social media marketing branding type of people that will tell you give away 99%. Mm -hmm. of what you know for free yeah yeah give away the very best and it, it's kind of like the quote and i'll probably butcher it but you know you can't receive with a clenched fist so you've got to be having those open hands giving mm -hmm. to be able even to receive anything so like even if your mindset's not like i want to receive like you're gonna be open to receiving if you're you know you're out there giving so love it love it well bob no i I, this has been a great conversation. I've really enjoyed diving into generosity more because, you know, we talk about gratitude a lot. And I think, you know, talking more about generosity is, is just the other side of it, like we mentioned. And mm -hmm. uh, you did a great job kind of breaking it down, giving a good example. So I appreciate that. If you were to, you know, close things off with just a couple key points, uh, maybe from what you've already said or maybe something you haven't, what would you what would those couple points uh, for the audience be? I would say this uh, to rehash the aspect of the generous mindset. Think about the things that are most meaningful to you, right? That's how you get involved. And in that's how you initiate your thoughts and your, your ideas is just 
consider, is there a cause that has affected your family? Like for example, my family, cystic fibrosis has affected my cousin. So that's a really important cause. It's easy for us to be generous related to that cause now because it's affected us. So think about those type of things. Uh, maybe think about local people in your area that are in need and just ask questions. That's the yeah. first thing. And then one thing that we really haven't uh, per se talked about as much today is the idea that when, when you do something for someone, you may not even realize the impact that it provides. Mm. And one of these quotes, one of the quotes, one of my favorite quotes that I heard once is that you may not change the world, but you may change the world for one. Mm. And it's always stuck with me. And I heard about, I heard this quote probably 15 years ago or close to it. And it's meant more to me in the past couple of years than ever before on my entrepreneurial journey, because I've had the opportunity to serve and help lots of people. And on occasion, people have come back to me and said, remember what we did six months ago, a year ago, this changed my life. Or you, I'm so glad that you and this group of people came and did this for us. Mm. And I know that if I've, I'm just using round numbers here. I know that if I've done 50 different events like that and two people have come back to me and said that, that I've had a chance to speak with, I know a good chunk of the other 48 probably have had a great experience too. So giving generosity, this whole conversation is really, it's not immediate. Like the feedback isn't an immediate dopamine hit always like it is when you get a like on your Instagram <laughs> post. Yep. So you got to consider that. You got to consider the long game. You're going to do things for people. And to be honest with you, you may never know exactly right. what you've done for them. But that's not why you do it. You don't do it to know. You do it because it's right. Mm. Those are great. A great way to end. So I appreciate that, Bob. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, to wrap things up, come to a close. Where can people connect with you? I know I mentioned your Instagram earlier, but where's the best place that you want people to go uh, and, and check out more of what you're doing? Yeah, I appreciate you mentioning the Instagram uh, at BDPA, B-D-E-P-A, on that on Twitter. I'm also on LinkedIn, but you can find everything, podcast, uh, book, everything, uh, speaking engagements, whatever you want to learn about me is all at BobDePasquale.com. Perfect. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you being on, Bob, again. Thanks so much. Um, yeah, it's just great having you on Elevate Your Brand. Chris, man, thanks, brother. All the best. And thanks so much for tuning into this episode today. If you found value at all from this episode, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It just helps us get this show, these messages out in front of more people. And don't forget to share this with someone who you think could benefit from listening to as well.